Hello. Welcome to the first Harmony UK podcast of 2021 with me, John Beasley. It's edition 26 and also the first in a series of three programmes where we'll trace the origins and history of barbershop singing in Britain as a hobby for many and as an absolute passion for some. The midst of the Covid pandemic is a good time to look back. With singing together pretty well banned through most of 2020, barbershoppers in Britain, as elsewhere, have been facing an existential challenge. And we've responded in novel and imaginative ways. Hello! Hello. Good evening and welcome to the first ever Babs Live. We are James and Chris, and we're going to be with you all the way through the evening, chatting to our special guests and introducing some of the best of British Barbershop. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Last Big Weekend 2020. And a special hello to those joining us from all around the world. Every Tuesday night we meet online and together virtually we spend a little time. We talk about our day and share the ways that we have tried to keep ourselves safe. Thank you very much for coming along this evening. It's a really exciting time for us. Um, this is the first time ever that Babs has put on a Harmony College online. Hello, lovely Region 31. How are you all? It's been a funny old year, there's no denying it. But you know what? It's thrown up some really amazing opportunities as well. Britain was the first country outside of North America to develop a fully-fledged barbershop movement. The hobby has always remained a bit of a niche among choral singers, but its roots run deep. So how did we get here? Preserved in the archives of the British Association of Barbershop Singers, a recording from 1973 and the first national gathering of clubs and singers in Crawley in Sussex. That meeting was the culmination of almost 15 years of dogged endeavour by one man. His name was Harry Dancer. He was a powerful advocate for the joys of close harmony singing. He wanted the UK to share his passion, one that, in a written memoir, he tells us, he'd first experienced at a very early age. I was born in London's East End in the naughty 90s, the era of gaslight, horse-drawn carts, trams and buses, before the advent of cinema, radio and what have you. From the time I first warbled a note, I just loved to harmonise. 
The fourth eldest of a family of 11, we, like many other families in those times, found life tough, but were nevertheless happy and close-knit and loved to sing. I carry a vivid memory of barbershop quartets appearing on the music halls at the turn of the century and the thrills I experienced when listening to the seventh chord. The voices of the highly popular American Peerless Quartet, recorded in the early years of the 20th century, and the words of Harry Dancer, as read by his granddaughter, Jane Dancer. My grandpa wrote some memoirs um, before he died, um, and they're fascinating. And although I've had them here, and I've looked at them before, I've never read them in quite such detail I guess and, and piecing all the things together with the photographs and, and that sort of thing um, and they're, they're a fascinating snapshot not just of music but of, of a time in, in, a, in a life really um, it, it's a different life Would start singing with his family and they would sing and then I think his father bought a piano um, and one of his sisters Sadie learned how to play the piano and they used to sing around the piano and there's a great story and my dad used to tell it to me as well about um, how grandpa used to head off to the picture houses um, for the silent movies when he was quite young um, sort of early teens to not watch the film but to listen to the pianist play the ragtime accompaniment stuff to learn how to play the piano. And he learnt by ear. And he still played. I, I, I do very vaguely remember that when I was really small. He then started a, a trio, actually, my grandpa, with um, his sister Sadie that played the piano and his brother Jack. And they became a trio, Jack, Harry and Sadie. And oh, many, many, many tapes of them singing in my, in my dad's archives. And they, they were really successful. They went out and did like performances and they, they kind of grew in stature and they played right up until the First World War as a trio when Grandpa got sent off to the trenches. So well known became Harry's love for performing that after he caught a fever and had to leave the trenches, the army called him up once more, this time to entertain the troops. As the war ended and life moved on, Harry married Bessie. They had three children, daughter Ray and two sons, Tony and John, who was to become Jane's father. As the family grew, Ray and John began to sing with Harry in a new harmony trio. So when the family set sail in 1958 for a holiday in New York, Harry's passion for close harmony had dimmed not one jot, as his memoir makes clear. The next milestone was in 1958, when Bessie and I visited the USA. We sailed on the Queen Elizabeth, John followed later by air. Tony had just commenced his national service. The high spot of that holiday was the thrill John and I experienced when we saw the show The Music Man at the Majestic Theatre on Broadway, New York. Here was Barbershop in the flesh with the Buffalo Bills, one of the most famous quartets of the past. They were just fantastic and made a wonderful impression on John and I. Previously, we had a good look around New York and went inside one of the record stores where I purchased the record album of The Music Man with the original cast. When we inquired tentatively of the salesman whether barbershop records were stocked, 
It shook us when he pointed out a section labelled Barbershop. I promptly bought 10 LPs and John subsequently flew them back home. Jane Dancer told me she still has those first 10 Barbershop LPs brought by her grandfather from North America. On the ship heading home, Harry met an American barbershopper who gave him a copy of The Harmonizer, the monthly magazine published by Spebskuza, the Society for the Preservation and Encouragement of Barbershop Quartet Singing in America, which had been founded 20 years earlier by Owen Cash and Rupert Hall. Harry wrote to Spebskuza and asked to be placed on their mailing list. But it was his two sons, Tony and John, who set out to form the first British barbershop quartet. It was a couple of years later, it was 1960, when the Barbershop 4 first began, which was the first quartet in the country. It was kind of because Dad and and my uncle were involved in a a local tennis club and there were various social events and they'd met a couple through the club called um, Bob and Joan Witherington. Um, Bob Witherington became one of the quartet members of the Barbershop Four and then through various social things they ended up meeting David Steele who was the fourth member of the quartet um, and they had a, an evening where they were listening to music, they were looking at singing from sheet music, looking at harmonizer stuff and that kind of thing and um, that was kind of the beginnings of, of the quartet and the, the barbershop four and mum tells me that they used to rehearse every Saturday night at, at different houses of the four quartet members and they, they became quite well known locally they, they were doing singing and, and such forth. Do you know what sort of things they were singing at the time? Well I, I get the impression from what I've read that grandpa was being sent sheet music as well as harmonizer and and they had sheet music uh, to sing from and I can read you some extracts from grandpa's memoirs because they are in there that is in there but they were they were they were singing hospitals fates you know events locally that kind of thing um and the the three songs that were listed were hard-hearted hannah um i could sing it but i I won't subject anyone to that um ain't she sweet and darkness on the delta which i remember really vividly because it was the kind of crawley's key song it was their crawley cordsman's Darkness on the Delta, they sang it every show, you know, it was their thing. The Crawley Chordsman singing Darkness on the Delta back in 1975. We'll return to the formation of that Crawley Chorus in just a moment. For though Harry Dancer may have been the first, he certainly wasn't the only Brit to travel to America and be bitten by the barbershop bug. Well, in 1962, I, I played with a jazz band for a number of years, a Dixieland band. I played clarinet, and we were we were professional, and um, there was a big trad boom in Britain, if you can remember about that time, late 50s, early 60s. And we had we were lucky to get a trip to the States. It seemed like a pretty good idea at the time. In those days, the rules said that for every British band that toured the United States, an American group would have to come over here to entertain us. So they got Bob Walker and his fellow jazz musicians, and in return, we got Ella Fitzgerald. 
Bob was eventually to become a leading light not only in the Crawley Chordsman, but also in what became the British Association of Barbershop Singers. But it might not have happened at all had Bob Walker not decided after that tour with the jazz band that America was where he wanted to find a permanent job. I'd been there just a few weeks and I got a job up in Niagara Falls with a chemical company because I uh, degree of ch in chemistry and I'd only been there for a few weeks and I saw these four guys standing there in the sales department and they were singing this music and it just hit me between the eyes and I sidled up and they saw me there and they said oh would you like to get do you sing and I said well a little bit and they brought me in and they were singing goodbye my Coney Island baby but with the words all changed to one of their chemical products that they were trying to sell I think it was trichloroethylene they were singing buy me some trichloroethylene and so on instead of goodbye my Coney Island baby well as happens to all of us pretty much in barbershop we hear that sound and we think wow what's that I've heard a lot of music in my time, but I've never heard anything like this. I want to be part of that. And so they asked me, would I step in? And they, of course, they were woodshedding. They were making it up as they went along. And I, been, having been a jazz musician, I was familiar with improvisation. And I just stood in and took over the tenor part and really enjoyed it and didn't realize that my life was going to change from that moment onwards. Some years later, Bob was transferred to Houston, Texas, where he ran into Bob Markson, a tall Texan and a bass singing with a local Spebscusa chapter who invited him to come to one of their rehearsals. The Tidelanders, based in Houston, Texas, is a performing chorus of excellent quality and ability using their voices to blend into perfect a cappella harmony. Founded in 1946, this performing arts organization is one of the oldest in the city of Houston. I was very lucky to join. Luck plays so much of a part in our lives, doesn't it? And um, it just so happened I joined the Houston chapter they hadn't competed for about seven years, I don't believe, in the society's competitions because they hadn't won the district. But they won the district and they were deciding to go to the convention in St. Louis. So I got right in on the ground floor, passed my audition, joined the chorus. We went up St. Louis that July. That would be uh, 1969. And we came second. So I have a little silver medal to hang on my chest if I choose to. Um, we were behind the, it was the VM of their day, and they were the Louisville Thoroughbreds. They were the greatest chorus in the society. And, and, you know, they regularly every three years, the Louisville Thoroughbreds won. And they were in that year. And the Houston Tidelanders, we were called. And we came second. And uh, I had some old guys from other chapters coming up to me and saying, he said, I've been in barbershop for 39 years and I've never been to international and sung and young whippersnappers like you come along. Of course, they did it with a smile on their face, but I know where they were coming from. Back in Crawley, things had been moving apace. In 1964, Harry Dancer again crossed the Atlantic to attend a concert in the town of Rochester in New York State. There, he met a Canadian barbershopper named George Shields, who at the time was the musical director of the East York chapter 
based in Toronto. They became firm friends, and soon afterwards, when George and his chorus toured the UK, the two men met up at Harry's home, along with the Barbershop Four. Harry's granddaughter, Jane Danzer, believes that it was a meeting of huge significance for the future of British Barbershop. There was an evening where um, it was a, a barbershop evening. There was much singing, there was much laughter, there was much joy and sharing of music and sharing of musical knowledge and the love of barbershop. And and it was at that point, I believe, that George Shields and Grandpa first spoke about the way to grow barbershop in the UK was to create a chorus. And... Grandpa describes that meeting. It was described in the memoirs that they sang till gone midnight and it was this this great occasion. And Grandpa describes it and his exact words from his memoirs was, and so the Crawley Barbershop Harmony Club was born. So that was, in his mind, very much the point at which it became more than just a quartet and it became a chorus with a view to something much greater. Thirteen people were in attendance on November the 4th, 1964, when the newly formed Crawley Chordsmen held their first rehearsal at the Dancer family home. My dad had helped do some of the marketing for it by writing some invitation cards to the meeting to grow the membership that he handed out at his work that got quite a few members of, of his old work to turn up and so it was kind of a bit of a word of mouth thing that the um the chorus was was starting to grow and then they started to do various events their first sing out was at the beginning of 65 at a hospital in in Sussex and it kind of grew from there, really. They entered a competition um, a bit later that year in Worthing. It was the Worthing Music Festival. My mum remembers that apparently very well. Well, apparently it came second, but that was kind of the first competition. And then later on, there was a quartet competition within Crawley as membership started to grow. And then they produced their first show, which was a show that was held in Crawley and it was produced by my dad and there was 35 of them on stage which I have the program for which it was called This Is Barbershop and it kind of obviously was a showcase for what they do and, and with a view to entertainment but also to, to garner more membership and then the the club obviously grew from that point and and it became quite well known locally I think. But Harry Dancer had bigger ambitions yet. He began to lobby the top brass at Spebskuser in the United States, asking for their help in promoting the barbershop hobby in Britain. From 4,000 miles away at Harmony Hall, they followed developments in Crawley with interest, as Bob Walker discovered when he decided to return to England and started making inquiries about barbershop back home. I got in touch with um, the headquarters, which was in Kenosha, Wisconsin in those days, until actually until a few years ago when they moved to Nashville. And I said, is there any barbershop in England? And they got back in touch and said, yes, we know of one club, which was founded by a man called Harry Dancer, and um, he's founded a club in Crawley in Sussex. And I remember thinking, what another stroke of luck, because I was going to be moving back to East Grinstead in Sussex, which is only about eight miles away. Bob's musical skills were a welcome addition to the Chordsman, and it wasn't long before they were put to use, both as an assistant director and as an arranger of songs for chorus shows. John Dancer and I, we took shows that were well-known, books as well. We took things like Treasure Island, and we took King Kong, and we took Guys and Dolls, and we made a story up 
on which we hung the songs which were in our repertoire because we were not in a position as a club, no club would be, I think, to, uh, to learn sort of 10 or 12 songs just for one show. And therefore, we managed to find stories that hung it together. At, at that time, when I went to the States to Harmony College and I came back with a song from the... Um, fr- now, was it from the Muppets? I think it was called Rubber Ducky. If anyone remembers the song Rubber Ducky, Rubber Ducky, you're, you're the one, one. Yep. you make bath time lots of fun. And I brought this back. It was a barbershop arrangement. <laughs> and we did that as a show. And I always remember we finally ended up, <laughs> we, I think our last show was called Rubber Ducky Meets King Kong on Treasure Island. Now, how about that for a show? You couldn't not buy a ticket to that, could you? <laughs> Preserved in the Babs archive, the Crawley Chordsman singing all about their rubber ducky. And it wasn't only the men who took part in these shows. In some households, barbershop had become something for the whole family. The families were very much involved, and that meant that we did have a lot of the youngsters getting involved in singing. They just all enjoyed their singing, and we used to get together and do shows so the women would have a little time on the stage for that as well and then we would do bit parts would be the um, cafe dancers and singers and all that sort of thing for the shows that we used to do Um, and that was it was just great fun. Jan Walker would help out her husband Bob with these shows. It didn't take long for the wives and girlfriends of male singers to form a Crawley ladies chorus although it was some time before Jan felt able to join them. Bob was very busy because he was going to all these judging seminars and going to America when I was working and bringing up the children. Um, And then when my children were a bit older, we had a visit from a Canadian friend who used to come and stay with us from time to time, Haddon Whitelaw. And he was going to visit a barbershop couple um, that we knew in Crawley. And he didn't have a car, so he said, could I drive him over? But he said they've got about four children and him and he didn't really think it was right to invite me to the meal that he was going to. So I said, oh, actually, that's fine. I'll drive you over and Crawley Ladies meet just round the corner. And of course, I knew all the wives and people that had joined Crawley Ladies. Um, so I said, I'll just pop in and uh, and listen to them singing. And then I'll pick you up when you're when you finished. I'll come around about you know 10 o'clock or something, pick you up. So I went and joined <laughs> so crawley ladies then were mainly what the wives of crawley men who yes. didn't want to be left twiddling their thumbs and doing nothing so they thought they would sing as well that's right yeah. 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 Um, and what part did you sing when you joined well i sang lead to start off with just because i knew the lead from hearing bob and everybody else singing the melody um but bob said oh i should sing bass so i joined the bass section and what sort of things did they sing at the time Oh, they sang everything. But I used to come back from rehearsals and Bob would say, oh, what did you sing? And I'd just say everything because they ran through their repertoire, just singing it once and moving on. Um, 
but it was all of the songs, a lot of the songs that the men had sung and just other songs that they'd picked up that they liked, show songs um, and anything that they could get to have a, an arrangement for, I think, really. The Beatles' Something, recorded by the Crawley Ladies' Chorus in 1974. So, by the end of the 60s, with separate choruses for men and women, Barbershop had a firm foothold in West Sussex. Forty miles away in Reading, there were also the beginnings of another group, though neither at this stage knew about the other. The Reading group was centred on the village of Tilehurst on the edge of town. One of their number, Jerry Holland, had been interested in close harmony singing since his youth. When I was a teenager, myself and three other guys, we were in a youth club in Tilehurst here, and we were trying to sing for a show, the four of us, and we were trying to sing the Ink Spots song, Do I Worry? We, we were trying really hard and it wasn't working at all, and we were standing on the stage in this empty hall except for one person who was sitting in the middle, a girl called Ethel Raven. I'll never forget Ethel. So this would have been 19... Bleh. 49. No, 1947. Somewhere around there. And she said, why don't you play the recording and mime it? And we said, what? She said, yeah, just just play the... So anyway, we, we found the ancient amplifier <laughs> and rigged it all up and put a micro, a dead microphone up and we played this Ink Spots record and we mimed it and it was a roaring success. Absolutely incredible. We did really well at that. And the four of us were singing all around the area. Well, I say singing, we weren't singing, we were miming all around the area. And we used to do Ink Spots and Mills Brothers songs. Do I worry... Cause you're stepping out Do I worry Cause you've got me in doubt Though your kisses aren't right Do I give a bag of beans Do I stay home every night And read my magazines Am I frantic Miming to the Ink Spots clearly left an impression on the young Jerry Holland Even as he later joined the RAF learned to fly and then took a job as an airline pilot with BOAC, the forerunner of British Airways. 
On a trip to Toronto, he too found himself in a record shop buying a barbershop LP. And when, through incapacity, he was signed off work for six months and looking for something to do, he soon discovered that those mimed performances of long ago hadn't been forgotten by neighbours and friends. The original group that we were singing with, we used to call ourselves the Red Ink Spots, would you believe? <laughs> and we, and we, we belonged to a, a group called the Triangle Players, which is from up, up, up in Tilehurst here. And so I thought during my this six months sick leave that I'd got, I'll, I'll rejoin the Triangle Players, which I did. And they were wondering about what to do with their Christmas show. And somebody said, hey, Jerry, why don't you get the old Red Ink Spots together and perform with them? And I said, well, actually, what I'd like to do is to sing with my real voice. And I'd like to sing some barbershop because by that time I bought my record in Toronto. And so I, I would like to see if I could sing with three other guys. And these three other fellows said, we'll sing with you. And one of them was Pete Powell. He talked to myself and also a guy called Barry Noel. And we talked about miming to some records. And he said, no, we want to do the proper thing. And uh, I had this score of from the Music Man. So we did Lida Rose or one of the other songs from uh, the Music Man at this, this concert. And that was in 1969. So that's over 50 years ago. Light a rose, I'm home again, Rose. To get the sun back in the sky. Light a rose, I'm home again, Rose. About a thousand kisses shy. Ah, that show again. It would be amazing to know just how many people have been launched upon a barbershop career after seeing The Music Man and hearing The Buffalo Bills. Thousands, I'll bet. Pete Powell again. We were a group of about six for quite a while from 1969. And we called ourselves the Minor Chords after the, a line in the old songs. The old songs, the old songs, those good old songs for me. I love to hear those minor chords and good close harmony. Yes, well, sometimes you just can't help but join in. Anyway, Jerry Holland takes up the story of the minor chords. Uh, incidentally, listen out for a spoonerism from Jerry. It's coming up in about 19 seconds from now. So we said, great, now we've got a quartet. What are we going to do about music? And it just so happened that Pete's then wife was a secretary to a guy who'd been on the Opportunity Knox programme. And he'd been a, in a barbershop quartet called the Jockstraps. And they failed miserably <laughs> in this in Opportunity Knocks. And so he'd got all his music and he'd stuck it in his drawer in his office. And Pete said, Daphne, his wife then, 
works for a guy who used to be in that in the Jack's drops. What about asking him for some music? So she did, and he said, "You can have the lot." I'm disgusted with the whole thing, <laughs> and so we we that's how we started. They were some simple songs, songs like After Dark, Nellie Dean, Sweet Adeline, Maggie, and the Sunshine of Your Smile. I've got written down here. We did as part of a. A musical concert we did back in April 1971 in uh, Reading Town Hall. That was our repertoire. And how did it go down with audiences? Were they? I, mean, I presume to a lot of them, it must have been fairly new, wasn't it? Well, can I, I've actually got in front of me the newspaper report in the local Reading paper, calling themselves the Minor Chords, a little singing group, introduced the American style of singing old ballads in close harmony in the modern idiom. This was excellently done and I thought one of the best items on the programme for they sang quietly and smoothly without a hint of shouting. I think that still goes down well today, isn't it? A rare recording of the minor chords singing the new Ashmolean Marching Society band made during their swan song performance at the first Babs Convention in 1974. But the group had a problem. The six members of the minor chords had very demanding jobs and you could never be sure which four with their different voice parts would be available to make up a quartet for a sing-out on any given date. Pete Powell worked hard to find a solution. We had a system whereby people like myself and Barry, who were relatively musical, we both learnt uh, several parts to maybe different songs. We didn't necessarily learn two parts to the same song but we learnt baritone in one song and tenor in another song and maybe lead in a third song. So that with the quartet that we actually had, we'd have some kind of repertoire. In fact, I seem to remember, I mean, this is the days before computers, having a punch card system and that I had cards, say a card for each song and who sang which part to that song. Uh, so I'd have a stack of these cards and I could put a needle through holes that were punched in the in the cards and out would come the songs that the four of us could sing with the four parts. So if you if you had four people you would know what repertoire? I would know. I would be the able four of you would be able to sing this, together. By this sort of punch card yeah. system, I could find out what songs the four of us could sing. <laughs> That's ingenious. <laughs> Well, I was a scientist, so, you know. But neither the science nor the arts of publicity were proving of much help to Harry Dancer, as he tried vainly to raise awareness beyond the immediate Crawley area of the joys of ringing those barbershop chords. 
On the whole, in the 60s, Britain didn't seem terribly interested. His appeals by post to Spebskuza and its chief executive, Barry Best, continued apace. And in 1971, the letter-writing finally paid dividends. Jane Dancer. There was a lot of correspondence between my grandpa and, and Spebskuza. Grandpa would, would talk about, from, from the letters that I've seen that he'd sent, he would talk about the fact that it was a club in Crawley and talk about the fact that it was spreading locally, but that almost he was frustrated that it wasn't getting any further, that the word wasn't really out there. Where they had quite a lot of local interest, local media, various press cuttings that I have from sort of the late 60s, uh, early 70s, it wasn't really spreading that, and he had this dream of having a, a British movement that it was, it was bigger than just one club. It was something to share and and have as a, as a society like they have in America, and I think it was through his connections with writing to uh, America, um, writing to people in Speb Square and and various um, choruses over there that it led to Barry Best coming over to Britain to meet with grandpa and to really set the formal side of things in motion um, for the creation of something wider than just a club and Crawley. And what sort of success did they have? What what did they do to try and spread the word? So I understand that Barry came over and that they, they started doing a bit of a tour and he went round to the country talking to various people. He met with grandpa. They talked about how to start a society as far as I understand it. And there was a lot of media interest. Uh, there was various television appearances, which I think I have the screenshots from. Well, they weren't screenshots then. They were photographs taken of a, a 1960s, 70s TV screen. Um, black and white, a very best appearing and, and pictures of the barbershop four and my grandpa on there. So um, I think there was quite a lot of media interest that helped um, spread the word. And that led to a meeting in 1973. The tour provided a breakthrough for Harry Dancer and his ambitions. Along with the attendant publicity, it led to the formation of new barbershop groups in Brighton and on Tyneside. And through American barbershoppers, the minor chords in Reading also finally found out about the thriving Crawley Chorus just an hour away by road. Mind you, the discovery was made by a very, very roundabout route, as airline captain Jerry Holland recalls. I was on a trip to Los Angeles and I'd, I'd got a, a layover in LA for a couple of days and like every crew member in British Airways, you gravitate towards Disneyland because it's, it's far too good for kids. <laughs> and... As I walked into the entrance to Disneyland, there was this barbershop quartet singing the Dapper Dance, and they were singing away. So when they'd finished, I went up and said, hey, you guys are singing barbershop. Uh, that's great. I tried to sing that in, in England. And they said, don't you know about Harry Dancer? So they gave me Harry Dancer's telephone number. That's how we kind of got together. So when I got back from that trip, I phoned Harry and he said, yeah, come on down. You know, he didn't. they didn't realise anybody else was doing it either, as far as I know, then. So Barry Knoll, you may know of, and Barry and myself jumped in the car and we went down to Crawley. And there were the Crawley Cordsmen under the direction of a very youthful Bob Walker <laughs> singing away there. And we thought, wow, they do this with choruses. We didn't realise that, of course. And I think the thing that really impressed us 
they sang you're as welcome as the flowers in may and these days people don't sing that anymore but uh, it takes about 45 seconds to sing it and when we arrived they sang you're as welcome as the flowers in may and every guy in the chorus shook us by the hand one by one and they managed to finish shaking their hands before they finished the song <laughs> which is quite we quite that was that really impressed us both of us we we, we almost wept you know, with the emotion of the whole thing. It was amazing, really. And so the stage was set for that meeting in 1973 of barbershoppers from around the country. By that time, there were four fully-fledged men's barbershop clubs in England, Bournemouth having joined the others in Tyneside, Brighton and Crawley. The meeting was arranged by the Crawley Cordsman, and it was held at the Hazelwick School on the Saturday of the Springbank holiday weekend, the 26th of May. Bob Walker remembers the day well. We'd had what was called a get-together in Crawley in 1973, um, and it was like a mini-convention. And I always remember the Tyneside Club came down in their bus and went back on the same day. And don't forget, we didn't have an awful lot of motorways in those days. So I think they got up about 3 o'clock in the morning, came down, sang at the convention, then got back again about 3 o'clock the next morning, which was really above and beyond the call of duty, and we were delighted that they did, because they were a fine chorus. Two women's choruses were represented alongside the four male clubs, Crawley Ladies and a group from Portsmouth who called themselves the Purbrook Sweet Adelines. Sadly, there's no professional recording of the event, but an amateur recording of the welcome address from Harry Dancer is preserved in the Babs archive. Though the sound quality isn't the best, it does capture the excitement of the moment and the high hopes of Harry and his growing band of barbershoppers for the future. Here it is in its entirety. This is a recording of the highlights of the first national gathering of British barbershoppers at Crawley, Sussex on Saturday, May the 26th, 1973. Barbershop 
and the purple sweet adelines paved the way, followed by the crawly sweet adelines, and I understand that Tyneside have formed a ladies' group, and Bournemouth are following suit. We're now waiting to hear news of the Brighton Bell. <laughs> You know, with Hubby going on a sing-out and his wife on another, the babysitters are doing a roaring trade. <laughs> but now, let's look ahead. The next, the next ambition to be realised is a, an association composed of British Barbershop Club, and as you heard, my son Tony announced a little while ago that the get-together of the committees of the various clubs were unanimously in favour of a British Barbershop Club British Barbershop Federation Club or the association or society, whatever it is. And I'm glad and I hope that my span of years I will be able to embrace that. But in the meantime, the love of barbershop and the good feeling it fosters tend to keep one young. Ladies and gentlemen, barbershop at all, thank you for coming along and just carry on busting those cords to your heart's content. <laughs> Applause for that welcome from Harry Dancer from all those delegates at the gathering who later joined their voices in song for the national anthem. Afterwards, Harry wrote about that day to his Canadian friend George Shields, the man who'd advised him to start a chorus in the first place. Jane Dancer has a copy of that letter. The first national gathering of British barbershoppers on Saturday the 26th of May turned out to be one of the most fabulous days in British barbershopping and one that will always be remembered. When you get members of four clubs woodshedding, I felt I was once again in Toronto. It just did my heart good to listen and share the sheer joy of it all. Presentation time brought me some surprises. I was presented with a lovely plaque from the Spebskusa with an accompanying letter from Barry Best through the medium of Chuck Odom of Brighton. I was really touched. Then followed a beautiful illuminated address presented to me by Don Amos on behalf of the Cordsman of Crawley, plus a lovely silver-plated rose bowl suitably engraved from the club then a bouquet to Bessie and a large teddy dressed in the uniform which will be adopted for the visit of the chaps to Canada, named as Harry the Barry. With Bessie, John and Tony at my side on the stage, I was so emotionally affected I found it difficult to express my thanks and Bessie was in tears. As I say, it was a really memorable day and one which will ever stay in my mind. All was now set for the launch of Britain's first barbershop organisation, 1974, was to prove to be a memorable year. We'll examine how that year unfolded in our next podcast. But in 1973, there was one treat still to come for the Crawley Cordsman, that trip to perform in Canada with George Shields and his East York chapter. Bob Walker has one particularly fond memory from that journey. We did a concert in um, a place up in Toronto 
called Ontario Place, and it was a theatre in the round outside. So it, it had a cover, and it had seating round, but it was open to the to the air, open to the park around it, and. A wonderful quartet sang on that convention, which I remember. They were the 1973 American champion quartet called the Gentleman's Agreement. <laughs> and they were singing away, and a duck from outside flew in, hit one of the baffles above them, and fell, only stunned as it turned out, right in front of them when they were singing. They didn't miss a beat. They just carried straight on singing, and as they were singing... One of them picked it up, made sure it was okay, and launched it off and it flew back out again. <laughs> I always remember that is true stage presence to be able to carry on under those circumstances. Bob Walker with The Duck That Got Away. And that's it for this 26th Harmony UK podcast, the first of three dealing with the history of British Barbershop. If you'd like to know more, then you'll find longer interviews with both Jane Dancer and Bob Walker on the Harmony UK podcast page on SoundCloud. I've added links to that SoundCloud page to our Facebook and Twitter pages at Harmony UK Podcast. And that's also the place to go to find a range of photos, pamphlets and press cuttings from the early barbershop years. Do look out for the next exciting instalment of the story of British Barbershop to be published during February in our next podcast. In the meantime, my thanks to all the voices that you heard, to Jane Dancer, Bob and Jan Walker, to Pete Powell and Jerry Holland. Do rest assured that all the contributions you heard were socially distanced, with those recorded during lockdown taking place over the internet. A big thank you for archive material to the British Association of Barbershop Singers, to Rod Butcher and to eBay. Yeah, it's amazing what you can find on eBay. And of course, my special thanks to you for listening. From me, John Beasley, for now, bye-bye.